This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. We have a couple really quick, exciting shows to announce in November of this year. It's uh, the 22nd in Manchester, the 23rd in Glasgow, the 24th in Dublin, the 27th in London. We're so excited to see you guys in the UK and beyond. Go to myfavoritemurder.com to find out the presale codes and tickets and how to get those presale codes and tickets. We can't wait to see you. Yay. Elvis? Yay? Want a cookie? Good boy. on for a minute. Okay. Check this shit out. (laughs) Karen and Georgia, on behalf of the state of Wisconsin, (laughs) we would like to pronounce you queens of the cheese factory of Athens. (laughs) Sorry, pretty sure it was princess, but whatever. that she was in the front row. I can't see behind She's me. She's like, what? <laughs> Wait, we're only halfway through the note. <laughs> this is what I love. If you don't know what we're talking about, you made it up on episode 139. <laughs> yeah, you need to explain our jokes to us when you say them to us. Yeah, it's Because we don't remember half the shit we say. Please wear these cheese tiaras as a symbol of solidarity for your Wisconsin murderinos, best Jake and Kelsey. I mean, you look good. Thank you. You look like you're going to sell, you're like a car salesman or something. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. (laughs) That is good. That's a compliment. Come on down. I'll buy a car from you. We've got Chevy Chevette's going for (laughs) (laughs) $59.99. Oh my God. Can we leave these on the whole time? Yes, we can. (laughs) I love it. No, this is weird. Oh, for the rest of the tour. I ate a fish fry today, too. Ooh. Thank you. It was delicious. One person booed about it just yeah. now. It's, don't ig- ignore the people who are trying to go against the fucking grain. Fucking vegans. Not tonight. Not tonight, <laughs> anti-fish fry people. I fucking hate fish. And I'm all about this fish fry yeah. story. Let's hear it. 
Oh, we went to the the market, the Milwaukee indoor market. Oh my god! Such a good market. So cute. Make sure to say hi to Stephanie this, at the Spice Station, girl. It was so sweet. Um, who else? What, is, what was there? Just a shit ton of spices? Yeah, or? you gotta have those in those markets. You know, really? she, she fucking... You're like, can I get five ounces of paprika? Yes! For real? Yes! Oh, you don't do enough high-end indoor market shopping. I guess honey. I don't. I I'm, guess I don't. It's fun. You buy a little of this and a little of that. What'd you get? Uh, truffle salt. It's kind of my favorite thing. Is it really? Yeah. Wait, are you secretly rich? <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. No. I just love Trump. I stole it. Don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hello, Stephanie. <laughs> oh, yeah. You put that on everything. But then we went and got fish fry, and it was really good. And oysters and crab legs for breakfast. What? <laughs> Are you the fucking Little Mermaid, or what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Whole crab. Mm. Well, I stayed in my room all day, and I didn't know how time was passing, and when the, right, when the, um, when the poor woman who came to clean the rooms was like, hey, housekeeping, and I was just like, I don't want you to see what I'm doing in here. A lot of towels on the floor yeah. for no reason. It's so embarrassing. She just goes, want some new towels? I was like, yeah, this thing. Thank you. But you know what I didn't do? Well, you do know. I know. I'm going to tell you a story that you're a part of. Um, <laughs> so last night, and this happens a lot. So first of all, we're so thrilled. This is the final weekend of a five-month winter-spring tour. Thank you. In case you don't know how to count, that's two different seasons of the year that we've been touring. Yeah. Half a year, some would call it. Um, that we've been coming to see everybody. And it's, of course, been amazing. But we also are very excited that this is the last one. We're very, very excited to be here for lots of reasons. So... Uh, as I was saying last night, you know, as as that progresses, you get a little bit, I should say, I get a little bit more fucked up and unwound and like a little crazier when I'm like, look what I brought. And I look down and it's like, I didn't bring, this time I didn't bring any pajamas yeah. of any nightwear of any kind. Me neither. But there's like seven choices of jeans, which I never wear, no. like will not wear, but but I can if I want to. <laughs> in the room that I never leave. So <laughs> I should just bring like a kimono and just yeah. get real with myself. And be up in that bed. Anyway, what I realized last night, thank you, before, <laughs> before right as I was getting into the shower, is the one uh, toiletry item I forgot to bring was shampoo. And so I was like halfway in and then I came back out and then I went to get the hotel shampoo because they have it all lined up, right? There's like four things and as I look down, it's like body wash, body wash, body lotion, conditioner. And I'm like, fuck! No! Um, And so I, because my hair had been dirty for a full 24, Mm -hmm. I believe. Airplane dirty too. That's not everyday dirty. Airplane dirty is like... Burn your pillowcase dirty. Yeah. <laughs> got, you've got other people's stuff on you. Oh. So don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't so <laughs> what I see there, though, is that I have brought a little travel size of that Dr. Bronner's Castile soap. Oh, really? What are you, some kind of dirty fucking hippie? Because <laughs> that shit doesn't work. Hi. 
right. I mean, it works great on horses. Ugh. Yes. And like, like middle-aged balding men like my dad. Sure. Or if you're maybe at a reggae festival and you just simply don't know what's happening. But <laughs> Dr. Bronner, as you know, has written on the package along with a bunch of other psychotic ramblings. <laughs> That you can use that Castile soap as shampoo. So I was like, I'm all set. And I pick that thing up <laughs> and then proceed to fill my hair with fucking goop. And it wouldn't come out and <laughs> couldn't rinse it out. So I basically had to leave the hotel room. Like, well, I saw Georgia when I when we met in the hallway. And I'm just like, touch this. Touch it. It's so horrible. Like, I don't really want to. <laughs> get, come on. Get in there. And I thought it was still wet. I thought she hadn't dried it yet. And so did Vince. When we got here, Vince was like, oh, we have a blow dryer. And it was, was like, totally it's dry. dry. Just like somehow looked... <laughs> It somehow looked tangled and dried out and then wet, too. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't great. Um, but then tonight I realized that maybe George, Georgia lent me half of her, and I'm not even joking, Madison Reed shampoo. Promo <laughs> got murdered! Listen, I fucking, I stick with my word. That's my right. word is my shampoo. She fucking means it. We have article furniture and we use Madison Reed. And we just oh, away suitcases. We like free shit. We, we really love free shit. Guy. That's what it is. It's a brag and it's also the best. So <laughs> so I use a little bit of that. Then I realized maybe something's wrong with my hair because it wasn't much different after the Madison Reed. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. I think I'm just at the end. I'm just at the end the of end. this tour, yeah. basically. My hair's like, we're not doing it anymore. So... <laughs> You can do whatever you want, but... It gave up. Yeah, I think it did. Oh, no. Yeah. Can I tell you a secret? Sure. An embarrassing one? Don't, Just to me or yeah, everybody? don't listen. Okay. I have a paper cut on my lip that I got backstage. <laughs> what? Because I was eating beef jerky and I got it stuck in my teeth. <laughs> so I went to get it out with my murder. <laughs> and it ripped my lip. <laughs> Guys... That hurts. It's not the best way to get food out of your teeth, it turns out. And I carry fucking toothpicks everywhere I go. Instead, I'm like, paper cut. It's fun. It's fun. You know what else? This is the podcast, My Favorite Murder. (laughs) This is Karen Kilgariff. This is Georgia Hardstark. Thank you. We're so excited to be here on our rug with our people. Yes. Oh, and with Steven's headphones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. From last night. Some lovely person named Nicole, I think, made us a, a knitted uh, Steven that complete with the headphones around its shoulders, which Steven always has. <laughs> uh, and then they fell off, but they're still here. How cute is that? Good. Should we sit down? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Fucking. These are, these chairs are worthy of our cheese crowns, I just want to say. These are, and cheese cheese thrones? Correct me if I'm wrong, because I've never seen a fucking episode. These are Game of Thrones chairs? No. No. (laughs) Sorry. These are more Downton Abbey style. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Early Victorian? It's, yeah, still the same. There it's the same go. era. Heavy it's as the wood. same historical era. <laughs> oh. Um, see? Let's see. <laughs> That's it. 
You're good. No, it's good. It's good. How's mine? It's very, uh, yeah, yours is good. My bangs are expertly covering one of the biggest zits I've ever had <laughs> on my forehead. It's kind of like not a zit if your fucking hair covers it. It's the best. <laughs> I feel like I cheated my hormones. That's right. It's the same as um, it's not a zit if you just put some eyeliner on it and make it into a beauty mark. <laughs> I highly recommend that one because... Certain things happen when you have a beauty mark right on your face that you don't realize could happen uh, when like, you don't have one. I'm like just what? saying, what open up a little. You know beauty mark girls and they're fucking slutty? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't really know. All I know is every time I've done it, at some point in the evening I was so drunk that I smeared yes. my own beauty mark. And it's just like, that poor girl has mascara on her <laughs> upper lip. That's what an alcoholic she is. And is it? She has no oh, and a zit under it. <laughs> What's happening? What the fuck? <laughs> is she okay? Oh, you want to tell them about the podcast? Oh, yes. Um, no one needs to know this in here, I'm sure. But, but just in case, there's always a few stragglers. There's always a few dazzle-faced husbands that we see after the show that are just like, <laughs> I don't know what she's doing, and I don't know why she's doing it with you now. But Or bosses that are like, is this, can I fire her for this? <laughs> or friends that are like, I can't stop being friends with her now. <laughs> yeah. But... So for all of you drag-alongs, that's what we like to call you, people that got brought here and are sitting in seats that people would have killed for. You're, you're just sitting there, stunned. But this is a true crime comedy podcast, and sometimes people hear that combination, they get very sensitive about it, and they think it's disrespectful, even though they never listen to it. And they think they know who we are, even though they fucking don't know what they're talking about. So... We just like to tell everybody that George and I have both loved true crime since we were young. Um, we've both been obsessed with it in ways we can't explain. Most of you understand. And uh, thank you. But, um, but also at the same time, we've dealt with the horrors of our own lives and reality of the world through humor. And so uh, it only made sense for us when we started this podcast that when we have these conversations about these horrible cases, um, that we would also uh, do the thing that we're used to doing which is relieving the tension and getting away from uh, how p human beings can hurt each other so much through the joy of comedy. And so essentially what I'm saying is if you don't like it, you can get the fuck out right now. That was a good one. As a good one is is longer than usual. Yeah, but last night it was shorter, so you're making up for it. Yeah, I'm just I'm really trying to feel it out. I never really want to land on a certain yeah. specific monologue until, of course, we start doing this as a musical, and then <laughs> then it'll be totally different. If fucking Mean Girls can be a musical, then this can be a fucking. We can musical. make a musical. I mean, shit. I can't sing. You can play yourself. That's I'm going to be the one non-singing person in the musical. You can play the drums, oh, and you can lip-sync like a lot of people on Broadway do. Really? I can Just do kidding. both of those things mediocre. Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account and it tells you that your password is incorrect. And then you try again and it's the same thing. And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But 
scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try. 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises. If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords, autofill everything from usernames to payment details and personal info. They'll also notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that save time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you should, but don't just do that. The Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash MFM. OnePassword.com slash MFM. Goodbye. You're first tonight? I am. Okay. And because of that, I'm going to do the story of Lori Bambi Bambana. What's that? You're going to know what it is okay. when I start telling you. Okay. They know. They know. They're this, murmuring about it. This story, first of all, takes place in Milwaukee, which what? is crazy. And secondly, I think it, it was happening. It was happening essentially from when I was 12 to when I was, you know, like a little bit after. And so when I was paying attention to it, it was always in, <laughs> well, I guess till present. But... Um, <laughs> It was always just kind of half paying attention to it because it just was always presented as basically this harlot killed this woman and the end. That's how the first cycle of stories about this case went. Then there was the later cycle of this was actually much different than anybody thinks it is. And to dig into the story and find out all this stuff, it's fucking crazy. It's crazy. Um, so a lot of the information I got is from an episode of one of the best produced true crime shows on television, Vanity Fair Confidential. I don't know if you've seen it. True. We're not kidding. It really is fucking weird. They're laughing. Why? <laughs> and I know that you watched that because you and Jay were accidentally th- on the thread today. So I, we, we don't know the other's murder and I love surprises. So I get really upset if I find out or you find out about it early and then I get I wake up from a nap to Georgia, don't read any of this. <laughs> and it was like, it was probably a 25 t- text exchange of me going, what about this picture? What about that? Do you have this? Um, I just don't understand why you don't like Vanity Fair Confidential. That's the weirdest. It's, it's so odd. It's, it's so odd one. to me. It's journalism, people. Mm-hmm. It's good. So, um, the on that show, maybe you need to explain to you. On that show, <laughs> journalists who work for Vanity Fair and who have uh, had stories published in Vanity Fair then walk you through the stories that they've reported on. So the two journalists featured in this who um, who originally wrote the Vanity Fair article about this story were named Bob Drury and Marnie Inskip, and then they're featured prominently in the show. Um, so okay, so let's get into it. At about twelve fifteen. A.M. on May 28th, 1981, mm-hmm. an intruder enters the Milwaukee home of Christine Schultz. They blindfold her, bind her hands with clothesline, gag her with a blue bandana, and then shoot her in the back <gasps> with a 38 caliber pistol. The bullet pierces Christine's heart and kills her. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know this one yet. Yeah. 
We're just getting right into it. Okay. This is Christine Schultz. Oh. Uh, her sons, 11-year-old Sean and 7-year-old oh. Shannon, are at home. They hear what they think is a firecracker. They get up, they run to their mom's room, and find her laying there, bloody. Oh, God. Horrible. So um, Sean calls a family friend and says um, somebody broke into our house because he actually saw the person in the hallway and says that the person was wearing a green jogging suit, was about 6 feet tall, was wearing a wig that was um, maybe red or maybe blonde. Um, and then, uh, of course, the police are called. Mm. So um, 30-year-old Christine is a single mother. She'd just been divorced six months earlier, and her ex-husband, Fred Schultz, was a detective with the Milwaukee Police oh, Department. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So... He and his partner, Michael Durfee, are the first responders at the scene. What? Yeah. They get there first. Yeah. Guys, so don't tell me what happens. Okay. <laughs> so, of course, uh, Fred goes straight to his sons and is comforting them and taking care of them. And then, the, you know, the other cops show up. Um, but the, when the detectives start investigating the scene, the other detectives, they immediately think that something is fishy because this is, of course, not a normal robbery with somebody being bound and gagged. So Fred Schultz is questioned, of course. He's the ex-husband. Um, he tells detectives he and his partner were at a robbery call at the time of the murder. Um, but when the investigators look into it, it turns out that Fred and his partner were actually at a bar drinking at the time. <gasps> Uh, not supposed to do that. I no, don't think. not on, not on duty. Not, on, not duty. on duty. Just fucking wait till you clock off. Um, <laughs> so it's not that's not good that he was lying. It, it kind of freaks everybody out immediately. Um, then they uh, take his both his um, service weapon and his off duty uh, weapon, and they send them both to the crime lab for testing. And so, uh, oh wait, I have a picture of the gun. Um, Ooh, that's so that's some 1980s shit right there. Right? <laughs> pretty, it's pretty dirty, Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, so the investigators um, drive Fred out to the crime lab to show him the results of the gun um, testing, and um, it they don't bas- do that if it's good good news. No, I don't think so. No, no. Uh, and it basically shows that his off-duty um, revolver was the gun used in the murder. Fuck. On the way back from the crime lab, um, Fred tries to jump out of the moving car that's going 60 miles an hour. <laughs> so I would call that strike two. <laughs> I keep looking at you guys as if I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you guys did that. Like, that's not a thing. Um, but here's the thing. Fred Schultz swears he did not kill his wife, and um, there's a bunch of people that were at the bar drinking when he was there that can confirm his alibi. Um, And there was only one other person who had access to his gun, which was in a gym bag in his bedroom closet, and that was Fred's brand new wife, 22-year-old Laurencia. Yes, that's right. (laughs) You were just doing a little marriage math there, weren't you? (laughs) They'd been divorced six months before, and he he was remarried four months after that and divorce. Then subtract their age difference, add and ten then, years, and add she's twenty two, and you get a bummer story. Yeah. 
That's Once right. Once again. That's right. So the only other person that that was ha- anywhere had that gun available to them um, was his new wife, 22-year-old Lorencia Lori Bambenek. Uh, and this is her. Let me see her. Oh, my God. <clears throat> so I think, as we all know, people who follow true crime, when you have a, a stand, a, a, no, I won't call it standard, but when you have a case of a, a wife being shot and a husband being looked at, that's pretty standard. Standard, until you have somebody that looks like this in the mix. <laughs> and that's when the media shits um, a brick yeah. and goes fucking insane. Sure. And so, and this was the 80s. So it was kind of the early, this was pre the CNN 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. This was, you know, this was right at the beginning of the, um, of this kind of tabloid style coverage, news. Yeah. yeah, crime coverage. And of course, you know, uh, everybody loves to hate a pretty lady. So, <laughs> um, so they begin looking into the new Mrs. Schultz. And Lori was supposedly home alone in their apartment uh, when Christine was murdered. So she has no uh, actual alibi. Um, and she had access to the off- off-duty revolver. And she also had access to Christine's house keys because Fred had taken them. He had taken his older son Sean's key and copied it. And so he had a key to Christine's house, which was his old house which he wasn't supposed to well I mean I don't, I don't think Christine knew it right yeah because he was had moved out of the house sure. so um, so the police look into the couple and this is when they start witnesses come forward and say that they have overheard Lori talking at dinner parties about how she think he that she wants Christine dead. Oh, um, that's because not dinner party conversation. It really isn't. It's it's really not. It, that's you know what that is. You go into the kitchen and you say it under your breath to your sister. Yeah. And this is coming from people who talk about murder at dinner parties. Yes, fucking. Don't talk about that. That kind of shit of like, I'm gonna wait till 20 people gather around, throw back some some white wine, and then yeah. start talking about how I want my husband's ex-wife dead. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So they said that she had said she wished Christine were dead, and that someone ought to quote take her out. What the fuck? Right. The cops then theorize that Lori took her new husband's service revolver, jogged over to Christine house. Get that exercise in. In disguise. You've got to multitask, right? You've got to get your shit done. 22-year-olds. 22. Uh, jogged over to Christine's house in disguise, let herself in with a copied key, bound, gagged, and then shot Lori, and then jogged home. Fuck. Or walked at a leisurely pace. We don't know. <laughs> okay, so... With all this circumstantial evidence pointing to Lori, on June 24th, 1981, police go to Marquette University, where she's an on-duty... The... Fighting... Leotard. (laughs) Can you imagine? Mm -mm -mm. They just get Mm -mm -mm -mm. so angry at each other. Yes. They come alive with sweat. It's like two thin boa constrictors. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Yeah, that's it. That's it. I don't want that game to die. I just don't want it to. <laughs> uh, okay. She is on duty there as a, um, a public safety officer. And um, she had been a police officer in the Milwaukee Police Department for a couple months. And then she got fired because she went to a concert. And according to her, uh, her friend started smoking pot and they got caught. And then she got busted for it. And because of that, she was fired. Uh, she claims that she was not smoking pot, but they didn't care. So basically then she had a job oh. as a security officer, and this is her when she was arrested. That's a child. 20, I know, 22. That is a child. Okay. Oops. So Lori's released on bail while she awaits trial. In November 1981, while she's out on bail, um, she and Fred marry for a second time because they had found, been informed that um, you can't get married if you've just been divorced. Like, you can't get remarried within six months. What? So they're... That's... Uh, the, it's Wisconsin law. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we we know. <laughs> I mean, can a person fall in love in four I'm months? I'm to talk about divorce law. <laughs> oh my God, I hope they talk about it. It's my it's my area of expertise. <laughs> Jesus. So anyway, <laughs> their marriage is declared annulled. Okay. And then they have to get remarried right after the six month oh, mark. What a bummer. Yeah, right? Okay, so here, oh, this is them together. Oh, no. Look at that shirt. Okay. So, it's Jay, actually. Okay, so, <laughs> just, just stop yelling. So, uh, let's go back to how the two of them met. Oh, so great. Fred and Lori, they met at a bar called The Tracks, okay. which is so hilarious. There's a, there's a Tracks bar in Petaluma mm -hmm. where my sister will be like, do you, do you want to go out? And then Adrian will be like, yeah, let's go to Tracks. And then Laura's like, well, then that's like not going out. So let's fucking not go out. <laughs> it's like every town has one. Yeah. So apparently in Milwaukee, Tracks is like a cop bar <clears throat> and a party bar. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it wasn't a sobriety bar at all. So, <laughs> so they meet at, at Tracks. Lori is, and I'm sure you can tell, but she was very um, beautiful, tall, thin. She did some modeling in her time. She'd also been a waitress at the Playboy Club. Um, so she was, you know, she was a beautiful lady. And Fred was known as a ladies' man and a party guy. Um, and his nickname was Disco. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> what's up, Disco? Who's the first one who called him that? Some really hilarious cop. If you're if you're not a drug dealer and your nickname is Disco, <laughs> you need to get right with the Lord. You need to fucking you need to assess. Yeah. So Lori and Disco fall <laughs> deeply in love. They fall in deep, deep cocaine love. <laughs> And are married within two months of meeting each other. Oh. That's how you know it's real. <laughs> uh, so, the authorities believe that the, Lori's motive for murder is that she hated the fact that half of her husband's um, paycheck was going to his ex-wife, and it was keeping her from um, living the, you know, high life like she wanted to live, and living, being rich yeah. or whatever. So... Um, 
so basically, I just told that story that she, Lori's father had been a police officer, and that's why she wanted to be a police officer herself. So when that thing happened with getting fired because of the pot, she was super fucking pissed. And, um, and she wanted to fight it, and they were just basically like, no, you're out entirely. Hey. So then arises this picnic party scandal at the tracks bar. Picnic party scandal. It's a picnic party scandal. Get ready. Hold your asses. So... That sounds like a like a 1960s like beach movie. Pick that party scandal. You know it's the end of the tour when I just can't even make up the dumbest lyrics. I just can't even do my usual terrible lyrics. Okay. So, okay. here's the picnic party scandal. Somebody gets Christine, I'm sorry, somebody gets Lori these pictures of this picnic party um, where there's, it's basically just like a, uh, it's like an office p- party for the police, but there are pictures of naked police officers standing on these picnic benches, like posing and shit. What? And there's not just one, but like five of them. Uh, and then there's a couple, a couple women get naked, and then there's you know, she hears that there's cocaine at this party. Someone fucking open the evidence locker room. Yeah, for real. Like, Picnic party. Look at this suitcase filled with oh my God. medical grade coke. <laughs> so the picnic party got crazy. Someone got um, Lori the pictures from the <laughs> picnic party, and she fucking went to um, internal affairs and said, I would like to file a report because I got fired for allegedly smoking pot. Oh. So what do you going to do to these guys? Shit. Uh, kind of, but... <laughs> the problem Your heart is, is in the right place. Uh, well, her the fight was in the right place, yeah. but you, I don't know how much you want to go up against an entire police department. Like, yeah, I don't know. Especially a naked one. Especially a naked one. <laughs> addicted to coke yeah. in 1981 no. as a 22-year-old woman. Uh-uh. Not easy. Uh, of course, the, uh, the Milwaukee police takes no official action, but the Justice Department gets wind of this, and they open a file. And there's an, actually then an accusation that w- what really happened be- be- behind Lori's firing was that the Mil- Milwaukee Police Department was taking money to hire women and minorities, and then they would, they would just hire them, take the money, and immediately fire them. Fuck. That was the accusation. It was never proven. Okay. Um, dead rats... And uh, begin appearing on Lord, the windshield of Lori's car, oh. and the car also starts getting keyed all the time. Which one's um, worse, dead rats? Hmm. But dead rats aren't permanent. <laughs> you can just turn on those windshield wipers <laughs> and <then> peel out. <laughs> but the thing is, this entire case goes away. When Lori Bimbenek is arrested for Christine's murder. Okay. Oh. A coincidence? I don't think so. (laughs) But I don't know, actually. So, (laughs) 
once she's arrested and then the reporters and the media find out that she used to be a Playboy um, club waitress and a model, they go crazy. And that's when she is given the nickname Bambi. Mm. This entire fucking time, I thought her real name was Bambi. Yeah. This entire time. Bambi and disco? Right. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, this is the picture. When she appears in court, her appearance is what takes center stage. It's all anybody talks about. And it actually turns this case into an international news sensation. So... You know, she's a tall model blonde sitting there going, I didn't kill my husband's Uh ex-wife. It's it's what they dream of in newspapers. That's her actually holding the gun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I might get that haircut. Okay. (laughs) So... Um, the modeling and the playboy waitressing element only fuels the prosecution's argument that Lori is a notoriously quote-unquote loose woman mm. with financial problems who is quote addicted to expensive living and that she wanted Christine out of the picture so that Fred wouldn't have to pay her any more alimony and the investigators um, claim to find two hairs at the crime scene that match Lori's and that's their strongest piece of evidence um, and that plus uh, access to the murder weapon um, which has blood on it uh, so the prosecution also introduces witnesses to testify uh, about Lori talking about wanting um, Christine dead at dinner parties on multiple occasions. Um, one witness even came forward to say that Lori offered to pay him as her hitman to do the job, but he declined. Um, and then on top of all that, the investigators find a wig in the plumbing system in Lori's apartment, <gasps> and it's made of fibers that match the fibers, the wig fibers found at the crime scene. She tried to flush a wig down the toilet? Yeah. Girl. Right? What the fuck? Burn your wigs, everybody. (laughs) If you walk away with anything tonight, burn your crime wig. You guys didn't have straws banned here, did you, for the turtles? Oh. No. We, in California, they ban straws, like, immediately because they're, like, they're getting stuck in turtles' noses and immediately are just, like, wait, can I have a straw with this? And they were banned. <laughs> and then they were, like, paper straws. and like, those are mushy. Yeah. But I love suck. turtles. What do I do? <laughs> I just like the idea that in this, you flush a wig, it goes out into the ocean, and then a turtle's, like, what the fuck? <laughs> wait, oh, wait a second. Hold on. Maybe... Maybe I don't hate it so much after all. Yeah. Then they evolve. Yeah. To have long, beautiful, <laughs> flowing hair. But it's like purple and blue and yeah. like fucking disco style. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there it is. Okay. <laughs> They also bring in a local boutique worker um, as a witness who says that Lori came into the shop to purchase a wig shortly before the murder. So despite all this evidence, Christine's son, Sean, the 11-year-old who called the friend, the older son, he states he does not believe the intruder is Lori. And when I read that, I was just like, oh, that's so sad and weird. Until... What no one knows is that at the time, the reason Christine Schultz had filed for divorce against Fred is because um, she'd had to call the cops on him several times for battery. And there are police reports that back this up. Um, and 
once the marriage had ended, she then started dating a different police officer. So he was super pissed and everybody knew it, that Christine was still living in the house that he had built, that she was getting half of his money. And now she was dating some, like a coworker. Um, and in this episode of Vanity Fair Confidential, Marnie, Marnie Inskip, who's the other journalist, actually says, quote, the title of our piece was, was Bambi Framed, and there was no doubt in my mind that she was. What? Yes. So on March 9th, 1982, after four days of deliberation, the jury finds now 23-year-old Bambi Bambanek, Lori Bambanek, sorry, <clears throat> that's her actual name, guilty of murder. She's Whoa. sentenced to life in prison and is sent... To the... To Cheetah? <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. I thought I almost lost my crown. <sighs> uh, see, I'd, I highlighted it because I was going to ask someone how to pronounce oh, it. Yeah. I, then I just did a bunch of makeup for a while. Um, <laughs> when she gets to jail, uh, she gets a note from Fred, and all it says is, Goodbye, good luck. In prison. In prison. Night one. Oh, here's my husband wrote me a letter. I'm going to feel so much. <laughs> Put that under my pillow and night night. <laughs> Good night. Good luck. <laughs> what is that? Mean? So creepy. So creepy. Good luck yeah. in jail. Uh, and about a year later, um, he sends her another letter saying that he's moving to Florida allegedly to live with a 19 year old girl. <gasps> Um, so they're granted their divorce on June 19th, 1984. And, um, this is around the same time that Fred, who in the beginning, uh, right after her arrest was saying, there's no way she could have done it. A year later, he's telling everyone that Lori is guilty as sin because fucking disco Freddie betrays all. So, so in jail, Lori starts to put together that maybe, Fred has somehow framed her for Christine's murder <laughs> and uh, that she basically took the fall for his own plan. Um, he was the one who hired Lori's lawyer and oh. she feels that maybe he, um, he willfully neglected any evidence that tied Fred to the scene right. or to the crime. Um, she also learns that Judy Zess, who is the one... Part, one of the people who testified against Lori saying, oh, I heard her say at a dinner party that she wanted um, Christine killed. Um, Judy Zess had recanted her statement saying that it was made under duress. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and uh, Lori doesn't find out about that until she's in jail. Then she also realizes that that wig that's found in her sewer system, um, <laughs> fucking Judy Zess had come over the day before and used the bathroom. <gasps> And she was the last person, it, like, the, the last other person in the house besides herself so before sh- that murder took place. Shit. Yes. Okay, so, here we go. Yeah. Things are turning. I'm getting it. Then, the medical examiner who conducted Christine's autopsy refutes the hair analyst's claim that the hairs found on Christine's body match, Chris, match Lori's hair taken from Lori's hairbrush. Hmm. Um, so he says that he could find that nothing he found could possibly match Lori's hair as the hairs weren't even the proper color. The hairs that were found were brown and Lori's was obviously blonde. So that's Lori, some basic fucking evidence. It's just, that's shit. colors, man. Yeah. That's first grade colors. Yeah. Get a first grader on the stand? No. Nope. Be like, 
Sorry, that one's blonde. <laughs> Lori tries filing three different appeals on the grounds that police mishandled evidence. They're all denied. Yes. Then um, there's an investigator that starts helping her and working for her because he also believes that this is basically a conspiracy. Um, And so he finds out about a man named Frederick Hornberger, who is a career criminal who also dated Judy Zess. (gasps) And he knew Fred Schultz through Judy because they all partied at tracks. Come on, everybody. So it turns out that a few weeks after Christine's murder, Hornberger had been arrested for robbing and beating Judy Zess. And the crime, he was convicted for this crime. And the similarities between um, the MO in that attack and Christine Schultz's murder are undeniable. Both victims had been bound, the guns had been held directly against the body, and the intruder wore a green tracksuit and a blondish reddish wig. Holy shit. Yes. It goes all the way to that's to the So <laughs> while he, he's Hornberger's in uh, jail for his crimes against Judy, mm-hmm. he allegedly bragged to inmates that he was the one who actually c- killed Christine Schultz. Um, but in November of 1991, he commits suicide in jail. So Whoa. it can never be confirmed wow. or proven. All right. Now, um, back to Lori. She's in jail still. Okay, so she meets her cellmate's brother. His name is Dominic uh, Gugliato. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love Italians, I swear. Gugliato sounds like he has crazy eyes. <laughs> oh, let's see if he does. <laughs> oh, shit. That's her and Fred in, so in court, she and Fred were like the, the dream team. Yeah. And the second she's, she's convicted, he's like, goodbye, good luck. Oh. All right. There's Dominic Gugliato, the Googs, we like to call him. <laughs> Is he a bartender at Trax? He's, everything takes place at Trax, oh. by the way. All right. I see it. <laughs> and there's the ghost of Ed Gein back there. <laughs> Good one. (laughs) Thanks, thanks. I love riffing. Okay. (laughs) So so Lori falls in love with her cellmate's brother, Dominic. So so on July 15th, 1990, uh, one night after bed check, Lori gets down to the prison laundry room, and she crawls out the window. Wait a second. There's a fucking prison escape? Yeah, there is a prison escape. I was already in deep. what you guys this story has it all so she climbs out the laundry room window she hops into Guglietti's truck um and they drive off. He, he actually, in that episode, he describes watching her basically throw a, a, a leather belt around one arm and like haul herself over the fucking razor wire what? on top of the thing. Yeah. And he's like, I love her. I fucking so love, look how, first of all, she's crazy hot and tall. Yeah. And then she doesn't give a fuck about razor wire. <laughs> it's like the perfect woman. Future wife. Uh, she jumps into Guglietti's truck and they uh, abandon that truck at a Target parking lot and then they flee to Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. Oh. <clears throat> 
Um, so, meanwhile, back in the States, once they figure out she's escaped from jail, everybody goes fucking nuts. <laughs> and this is when um, they start making Run Bambi Run t-shirts. No and <laughs> Holy shit. Bumper stickers. And it's actually kind of interesting because, and especially in Milwaukee, there are, there now become a vocal group of people who think that she has been framed, that she has been set up, that she did not get a fair trial, that the whole thing is crooked. And it's, of course, those people are featured in this episode. If you want to go see some of oh. your, some of your fellow citizens in 1983 <laughs> just being like, I'm not getting, I don't think she got a fair trial. I don't know what that accent is, but. <laughs> The one lady they let talk, you could tell, it was like she was made of Marlboro lights. It was awesome. <laughs> Fucking love her. It's like, from her throat up through her hair, she was just like, I don't think she got a fair trial. <clears throat> okay. So... It's love so it. Good. It's so good. Love it. Also, this was back to when people didn't, no one thought about, you know what I mean? It's just like, people are just like, oh yeah, she ran. Make some bumper stickers. <laughs> like, let's just get in on this and shit. Then, and then you scotch tape. It's not even real. It's yeah. not even a bumper sticker. Well, here's the thing. that That's a fucking murderino because they're like, oh, they're going to catch her pretty soon. We need to take that off. <laughs> I'm not fucking up my station yeah. wagon back window. Yeah. <laughs> that's the equivalent of like taking down an Instagram post. Never happened. <laughs> yep. Pew. Goodbye. <laughs> Or someone's like, that's really, that's really tasteless. Oh, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> I just was having fun. Someone was selling it in front of the courthouse. Okay. So they make it to Canada, as I say. They're hiding up there. Lori gets a job as a waitress and a fitness instructor. Hey, lay low. I know. Um, no one, no one can. Yeah. She starts telling everybody her name is Jennifer Gazana. Okay. That's fun. Um, and they successfully dodge authorities for three months. Oh, that's it. But, of course, back here, she's this folk hero yeah. that everyone's talking about, and they do an America's Most Wanted on the, the whole case. Yes. You fucked. Right? So, uh, an American tourist is up in Thunder Bay to watch the thunder and for good, get some good times. Um, they recognize Lori um, as she's waitressing and October 17th, 1990, Lori and Dominic are both caught and arrested. So here's, there's her being arrested in oh. Canada. But I have bouncy brown hair now. Oh man, that she's jacket. Like, if I just wear beige, no one will see me again. <laughs> Try to be less tall, Lori. <laughs> Okay, so uh, a month after they're arrested, Dominic is deported back to the United States, but Lori seeks to remain in Canada as a refugee, telling Canadian authorities that she's the victim of a conspiracy between Milwaukee police and the judicial system of Wisconsin. Wow. And um, they are sympathetic to her story once they look at all these facts. And um, Canada refuses to extradite her. Wow. Uh, right? That's... Unless... Unless Wisconsin authorities grant her a judicial <gasps> review of her case. So, Canadians so, are so nice. They're so nice. I know. And they're really soft-spoken. Yeah. But they love justice. <laughs> so, 
so the American authorities end up agreeing to the terms, and Lori ends up getting a retrial. Amazing. Yes. Okay. So on April 22nd, 1991, Lori voluntarily goes back to the United States. Her trial is held December 9th, 1992. She pleads no contest to a second-degree murder conviction, um, and the first-degree murder conviction is vacated. And she gets a 20-year sentence, which is commuted to time served, and she's released three hours after her sentencing, having already served 10 years in prison. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, here's her after she's released. Oh. Love the hair. Okay. So you know what? Did she, she she's it? a spring, she's a winter, she's a fall. She can have any color hair she wants. She's one of the lucky ones. So, okay. I'm going to, you keep going. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> Now free, Lori writes a book about her saga called Woman on Trial. <laughs> there's a quote, uh, they, I saw a picture of the book and there's a quote from Diane Sawyer on the cover calling it, quote, the most glamorous murder case of the century. <laughs> Guys. Diane, that's tasteless. Diane, how dare you? And that's coming from us. <laughs> There was a TV um, movie uh, called Woman on the Run starring Tatum O'Neill. Yes. And it's very sympathetic. It's to Lori's side, um, portraying her as the victim of a mishandled case. In 1996, um, Lori moves to Washington State to be near her ailing parents. Her father has cancer, and she wants to be near the family. Um, she does remarry. She tries to move on with her life. Um, but she, of course, has a hard time. Um, she has a drinking problem, and so she uh, runs into a bunch of problems with that. In 2003, um, she agree agrees to appear on Dr. Phil. So basically, the show comes to her and says, we'll give you $20,000 to pay for DNA testing on any case evidence that they still have if you agree to stay down here and whatever the results of the test are, you come on to the show. Oh, man. Yeah. So basically, they were like, we're going to put you up in this apartment here in LA. We're going to go get the testing done, and then you have to find out the results basically on the show. Oh, my God. Yeah. So... Um, they, they put her up in this apartment and uh, she later claims that she was under 24-hour surveillance and she says because of that it triggered her, her PTSD from her years of being incarcerated so she goes ahead and ties the bed sheets together, throws them out the window and then tries to climb down out of the window she falls, uh, she claims that she fell two stories, cut an artery in her foot and then her, later her foot had to be amputated what the fuck? Yes never fucking heard any one of these little pieces. I know. I know. Holy shit. Now, just to be fair, on the other side, the producers from Dr. Phil say, <laughs> they say, Lori was always allowed to leave that apartment. She could have walked right through the front door. And also, the apartment was on the first floor. I don't know how to feel yet, though, because if she didn't do it, oh my god, my no, heart's breaking. I know. Did she not? Do we think she didn't? Okay, I'm gonna let you keep going. In the following years, <laughs> Lori falls on hard times and develops a bad drinking habit. I said that already. And on November 20th, 2010, she passes away in Portland, Oregon, from liver and kidney failure at 52 Ooh, years old, honey. And at the end of this Vanity Fair confidential, which I love and you for some reason fucking hate. <laughs> 
but I think you're wrong. I think you should try it. <laughs> At the end of that story, um, the female journalist, now I'm going to call her Mamrie, like our friend, but that's not, that's not her name. Um, Inskip. Her last name's Inskip. Okay. Marnie, 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 Marnie Inskip. Inskip. She, thank you. Was it really there? Uh huh. It was, um, she is. <laughs> Marnie Inskip, who knows this case back and forth and every fact in it, says she doesn't know what actually happened. She doesn't know who really killed Christine Schultz, and she's not sure if anyone ever will. And that's how the fucking episode ends. <sighs> but I have a personal theory that Fred Schultz had her killed yeah. by Hornberger. It seems pretty fucking obvious. Although, who am I to say? And that is the unsatisfying and awful story of Lori Bambenek and the murder of Christine Schultz. Holy shit. Isn't that nuts? Crazy? Nuts. Beyond crazy. So, okay. What happened to him? Where'd he go? What happened? I tried to look it up, and here's the thing. When you look up Fred Schultz obituary, a bunch of dudes come up. There's Uh-oh. somebody, there's also somebody, I don't think he's dead, but there's somebody who's really made a name for himself in the paintball community that's, <laughs> that's named Fred Schultz. Oh, so he dominates the first few pages of Google. He just, I, I, I couldn't really suss out whether it was our guy yeah. or... He went to Florida, and then he was like, you know what I love? Paintball. <laughs> shooting. I love shooting things. Yeah, yeah. So Ooh, I, don't, I don't know. That was a wild ride. Yeah. That Isn't was that amazing. Crazy? I don't know how I'm supposed to fucking follow that. Uh, let's just end. No. Let's just go to tracks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the cases have some similarities, actually. Um, this is the death of Barb Kenthammer. Ooh. Okay. So, so this case, I, when I looked it up on uh, our email to see if anyone had written in about it, somehow it's debated on whether it's murder or a freak accident. Oh. So, at the end of it, Karen, officially on the record, is going to... I get to decide? You get to decide. Wonderful. <laughs> I promise, I promise to be fair <laughs> and even-handed. Don't, don't do it. Okay. No, um, I got take a this off bunch of info from the Lacrosse Tribune and Madison.com. Bunch of articles. Madison.org, more like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just Madison jokes. <laughs> Okay, let me get, let me tell you guys about a small town called West Salem in Wisconsin. They're all here tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, 47-year-old Todd Kendhammer, Kendhammer, he works on cars. He's like a generally handy dude, builds houses, this sort of thing. Mm. And he lives um, in West Salem with his wife of 25 years, 46-year-old Barbara Kendhammer. She goes by Barb. This is them. Okay, I know. Oh my God, they look normal. They must be normal, right? That's what I'm being led to believe. <laughs> but I'm not making a judgment yet. Okay. I need to hear more facts. All right, so Barb uh, also works in, as, in the lunch program at a local middle school. She's well-liked by the children, everyone at the school, the community, everyone loves her. Um, and she's lovely and dedicated to her job. The couple met as teenagers, and they had been married 25 years. They had two grown children. 
Then, here we are on September 16th, 2016. September 16, 2016, 911 dispatch from La Crosse County gets a call at 8.06 a.m. from Todd. And he's frantic, he's inaudible, and he tells the dispatcher that he was driving on a rural highway in, in the town of Hamilton with Barbara as a passenger when a pipe came through the windshield, a pipe flew off an oncoming truck and went through the windshield and hit Barbara. Ugh. And, and um, she's bleeding out of her nose and mouth. He, she's saying, he's saying she's, you know, can't feel a heartbeat. Please hurry. And the Generation Y played the um, the, uh, the 911 call. I don't, it don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yay, Generation Y. Yes. yes. <laughs> yay to them. <laughs> Boo to 911 calls. Um, so did, the, okay, what? Well, I was just going to ask. Did it sound authentic to you? I don't know okay. this shit. I just had to ask. It's, I'm building a case. Okay. <laughs> then, no. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. The first paramedic at the scene finds Todd kneeling over his wife. He's been, um, he had pulled her from the car and was doing CPR on the phone with the 911 dispatcher. Uh, she's unresponsive when medical help arrives. At the scene, Todd tells the authorities that he were, they were just driving on a straight flat stretch of highway when the pipe had come through the window. Um, and bounced off the pavement through the passenger side window, hitting his wife. But then on the way to the hospital, um, he's with an investigator, and he adds that when he first saw the pipe coming at them, he didn't know what it was. He thought maybe it was a bird flying at the windshield, so he punches the windshield, which is why his knuckles are all bloody no, and cut uh-uh. up. Excuse me. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> One time, once, one time, <laughs> we were driving down the 580 uh-huh. over by Livermore in California, uh-huh. and uh, it was nighttime, and the truck in front of us had this, uh, I would say, a 10-foot aluminum ladder, and it bounced off the back of the truck <gasps> in front of us, and we watched it. <laughs> this is when I was still married, and my ex was like, he just reached over and goes, hold on. <laughs> and we... We just had to wait to see if it was going to bounce into the windshield or under, and it fucking, thank God, went under the car. Holy shit. And so we just like, and then like kept driving, and then, of course, looked back, and we're like watching it hit all the, it was so crazy. Oh my God. I'm saying that I'm not going to take that into consideration. I will (laughs) lay that aside. Yeah. And my bias of knowing how freeway debris can affect your life will not affect my judgment. You would be dismissed from the jury right, right now. If I told that story. Yeah. I also, Blanka Patch, my old great friend who's the funniest stand-up comic there is, um, he one time when we all lived in San Francisco was driving um, with his girlfriend who was in the passenger seat and this exact fucking same thing happened except for it was like a two-by-four off a construction truck. What? And it came into the car and went right by her head. Okay. I, will, I will also lay that aside in, <laughs> in Blaine's behalf. Ma'am, you've been dismissed. Ma'am. <laughs> Hold on. I've also seen other things fly through things. <laughs> what? <laughs> Can we get someone you know to escort what? her out of the courtroom, you please? Know what? <laughs> you don't even know about freeway debris. <laughs> Thank 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, so he so he punched the window is where we were at. <laughs> Bullshit. Okay, let me show you a couple of pictures. So this is the, where the car stopped. He said he liked he he tried to turn around on a side road and then accidentally backed up into the fucking weeds or whatever. And then um, that's him at the scene. Oh no. I hate his shirt. I'm sorry, that is a pretty good shirt, though. <laughs> it's funny, and it's visual, and it makes you think, and it makes you laugh. And it's covered in blood. It's covered in your fucking wife's blood. And those are his hands. Punch, punch the windshield. To, like, whatever's coming through. He, his argument was he was, like, trying to stop it from coming through. Do we believe Sim- it? It simply no. doesn't work that way. So, um... <laughs> Blah, 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 blah. I tried to punch it away. Yeah. So he says this is why he has injuries to his knuckles, and also that's why he has scratches on his neck and chest. Mm-mm. He says they're from the glass. He says he then pulled the car over to a side road. He accidentally put it in reverse. Um, he said he got out of the car and removed the pipe from the windshield for some reason, pulls Barbara out, and tries to give her CPR for three to five minutes before calling 911. <sighs> I don't know about you guys, but when I see, like, a fucking paper cut, I call 911. Like, yes. it's not, like, myself. That's why you're on the phone tonight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, help me. No, don't only call in an emergency, but go ahead and call in an emergency. Yeah. You know? Well, also, it's just three to five minutes when in an emergency situation right. is the equivalent of real-time 18 hours. Exactly. Like, it's that's so long. Right. It's a long time. Um, so then he calls 911 at 8.06 a.m. Sadly, Barb never regains consciousness, and she's declared brain dead at 5.02 p.m. the next day. Hmm. It's very sad. When police investigate, they find a shit ton of inconsistencies. Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah. A passerby says that he saw the Camry right before Todd called 911 driving by in, in that ditch, and he like looked over to see what was wrong with it. He said the windshield was intact, there was no fucking breakage on the windshield, and that the passenger door was open and there was nobody around, so he didn't see anyone. Oh. Then authorities find the 10-pound, 50 three-inch galvanized steel pipe in the weeds behind the passenger side of the car where he said he threw it before trying to save her life. And um, this is, to me, like, this tells you everything. In the, They opened the trunk and realized that the trunk had to have been opened because there's, like, grass from the ditch in, in the, the trunk. closed trunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, that's... Why would you open the trunk? Because you did it. Okay. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Also, I just, I just had that moment of like, I bet as a detective when you do, you do something like that and you flick open that thing and then you see it and you're like, I'm so fucking smart. <laughs> like that's what I would do. Or I'm just like, look at me observing this inconsistency. Yeah. And you know what else? I'm not going to touch it and yeah. I'm going to make sure it gets photographed because yeah. I'm good at my job. Because I'm so good. <laughs> so good. Um, and emergency responders hadn't found glass on Barbara at all, so that whole story doesn't make sense. He, um, Todd tells investigators that he and Barb, they were like, what happened? He and Barb left their home in West Salem that morning between 7.30 and 7.45 a.m., and um, they were going to Holman, where Todd had said he was going to pick up a car to fix the windshield, like, and because uh, he did shit like that, and then he was going to drop his wife off at work, but she was scheduled to work at 8 a.m. at uh, 
the West Salem Middle School in the opposite direction from where they were going, and she didn't call to say she'd be late, and that was totally not like her. And then the owner of the truck that he said they were going to pick up was like, no, that wasn't a plan in my head. That never was a plan. Um, Tighten up your shit, dude. Truly. And then GPS showed that uh, the couple's cell phone, that they had been at a neighbor's house, and uh, it was just all over the place. And a car matched. So then the fucking investigators, so smart, they go like down the road to an, a business that has um, camera yeah. to the road. So they see the Camry driving by at the time at 757, traveling north on Highway M, and then they keep watching it and keep watching it, and no fucking flatbed truck ever goes the other way. Uh, so it's like just not—it's not going to happen, bro. Yeah. So okay, they they try to recreate the crash site, which had to be so much fun, and uh, it just doesn't add up. There's no way that pipe can fucking straight up, you know, do that thing. So I'm just thinking, like, also how if the. Sorry, but they were behind the truck? No, they were coming in the opposite direction from the truck. So it, the truck's driving and it flies forward from the truck. No! I wait, I would have said no right at the beginning if I had known that. <laughs> it's because you're a good investigator. It's because you're a good detective. I wouldn't have even needed that grass in the truck because I would have already known. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, also, broken glass was found in the Camry's gear shift, but only could have only gotten to where it was if the car had been in park when the fucking window shattered. Mm-hmm. That's a good detective. Another work. amazing detective. Another one. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so let's see. Ba, ba, ba. The medical examiner reports then comes in that it, it's fucked up. Okay. Barbara suffered extensive blunt impact injuries to her head and neck, inconsistent with her husband's account. Um, she had cuts on the back of her head and a fracture to the back of her skull, and she had um, some, you know, broken uh, bones in her face and bleeding in, in her lips and bruises on her biceps. So, um, let's see. And they, they get fi- uh, DNA out of her fingernails, and his DNA is under it. Oh, under my nails. God. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with that. So, uh, and then there's blood stains around the passenger side of the seat. So it looks like he, you know, he had been hitting her in the car. And also there's no um, glass in the windshield. I mean, in the, there's no windshield glass in the door pocket, you know, where you put your tissues or whatever. Yeah. So, right? I like to line up empty Starbucks cups down there. <laughs> To see how long I can go. I like to put tissues over there, so I have to, when I need them, they're too far away for me to <laughs> grab. Just to, so you can suffer a little bit? Yeah, that's oh, what I like to right. do. So there's no glass in there, meaning the door was open, so he probably got out of the car, pulled her out, and then put the, the uh, and then opened the trunk to get the pipe out, oh, right. which is why the trunk had been opened, mm-hmm. and then stuck it through the windshield, and there was no blood on the fucking pipe either. This guy's bad at it. Yeah. He's bad at it. Yeah. Um, okay. And now I don't like his shirt. <laughs> Let's see. So, okay. And then there's also like orange soil and sand on the pipe and in the trunk showing that it had been in there. And the couple was getting like their plumbing redone and it totally looks just like a plumbing pipe. Do I have any more photos? Maybe. Nope, I do not. <laughs> we all just went into the abyss just there. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> so then he's all weird and it says he's jittery and emotional at the funeral home but it's like well yeah yeah it's not that weird you would he, be you just did a terrible crime like <laughs> yeah. literally you did it so terribly yeah <laughs> At the funeral, he is, uh, he makes arrangements. He wants her cremated. He's super forceful about it. He doesn't want anyone looking at her in the casket. And even the funeral director was like, to the cops, that's not normal. That was weird. <laughs> like, this is it. Look, I gotta say something. Yeah. And I hate talking. But, <laughs> and people. But, yeah. You gotta think that the funeral director's seen some fucked up shit. Yeah. So they're like, this dude over here. Yeah. That's not good. Red flag. Yeah. Um, and then, so, but the, this is weird to me too. Like the couples, the friends and family say they have no problems in the marriage. There's no history, you know, that anyone knows of, of domestic abuse. And, but several of his former colleagues describe him as a quote, snake in the grass and a quote, chauvinist pig from hell. Oh, old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. My mom used to use the phrase chauvinist pig yeah. all the time in the 80s. I just remember. Yeah, you chauvinist pig. That what was, a chauvinist pig. That was a thing. It was real. I totally She should have made a shirt. <laughs> a little pig with a mustache or something. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Like not opening the door for... Yeah. Um... <laughs> Chauvinist pig. It's still alive in Wisconsin, <laughs> that phrase. Yeah. Good job, guys. God bless. God bless. So, 81 days after Barb's death, on December 7th, police arrest Todd for in intentional homicide. He's, he's bailed out because his family all thinks that he fucking didn't do it. It was an accident. His children, you know, of course, of don't course. want to believe it. They, yeah. they can't believe it. He's put under house arrest um, and monitored by GPS. And um, his trial starts a year later in December 2017. He testifies, offers multiple versions of what they were doing that day, why they were out where they were out, and it just doesn't really make sense. Um, and then, uh, let's see... Uh, 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 but witnesses for the prosecution also debunk his story and prosecutors argue the evidence shows that he beat his wife then took the pipe from the trunk and drove it into the windshield while she was dying on the ground Ugh. there was um, multiple there was also looked like he had tried twice to get the fucking pipe through the windshield I just don't like him <laughs> so um, his two children and family members believe he's innocent and uh, that there's no motive for, for what happened. Prosecutors think that they just got into a fight that led to Todd killing her. After nine hours of deliberation, a panel of ten women and two men find 47-year-old Todd Kendammer guilty of first-degree intentional homicide. He's sentenced to life in prison and eligible for parole in 30 years, but he is fucking locked up, and that's the death of Barb Kenhammer. Wow. Thank you. Some fucking final destination bullshit. Yeah, really. No way, dude. Nope, so you know, officially, Karen says no. Yeah, oh, right. <clears throat> You don't deserve to wear such a beautiful shirt, you asshole. <laughs> um, Thanks so much. Do we have time? Yeah, for it's time. Let's do oh. it. Here comes Vince. There he is. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> 
guys. Uh, the Bucks are up 16 with about 10 minutes to play. Okay. Okay. Good news. Nice. That being said, <laughs> you know where I'll be. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank Vince. you. Yeah. Okay. There are rules. Tell them. Okay, the, we'll do this quick. Please be local. I mean, you don't have to be local. We proved that last night. You don't have to be from here, but this story needs to be from here and about here. Milwaukee would be great. Wisconsin is fine. Do not bring that Kansas bullshit. We don't want it. <laughs> They'll hate you. And uh, if you're pointing at someone and you don't know their story, stop pointing at them. Stop it. I will hold stop you accountable. Stop it. We'll kill you. <laughs> you can't be super drunk. It needs to be a good, fast story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that's just not for tonight. Anytime you tell a story, please. It's important. It's important. Okay. <laughs> now Georgia's going to choose. Yeah, with the little, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I hate doing this so much. Maybe you shouldn't have yelled at her so much. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. She's got a jean vest on, and I'm fucking <laughs> digging it. Go that way to Vince. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. This is just like the girl last night who brought her purse. Oh, yeah. I think it might be a Wisconsin thing. Milwaukee, you don't like leaving your purse, even you with your friends. You won't leave your bag back, even if it's all your friends sitting around it. Mm-mm. I got None it. None of your business what's in my bag. <laughs> um, we should give her one of these, right? Yes, okay, for cool. sure. Okay, here she, here she comes, everyone. Everybody, okay. Stacy. <laughs> Where are you from, Stacy? Uh, I live in Mequon. Okay. And I just want to thank my students for here. <gasps> what? Who got me um, interested in the podcast? <laughs> Wait, what do you teach? Um, so, um, first grade. Ooh, no. Are they here? <laughs> Uh, There's a bunch of seven-year-olds up there by themselves. Um, yeah. Swear more. I teach at UW-Milwaukee in the graduate clinical psych program. Whoa. Yeah. Nice. Yes. I told them I've been practicing my murder for a couple of weeks now. Oh, good. And wore this blingy vest. Yes. Yeah. I'm thinking you might see it. I zeroed it in on it. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my murder. Yeah. They yeah. love Miss Stacy. They love you, Stacy. Mrs. Stacy. It's Stacy's time. Yeah. <laughs> First Take graders. my picture, you guys. Okay, <laughs> they are. Can, I can't use my notes, can I? No. No, no. you okay. can tell it. Like, you've been practicing. You okay. know it. So this is the murder of Sin Lam Tratner, who was killed by her husband, Stephen Tratner. So Sin Lam was a native of Hong Kong, and um, she met um, Stephen Tratner, who's from Whitefish Bay, and uh, Wisconsin, and... <laughs> Sorry, guys. Damn. Yeah. And so um, Sin Lam was a manager at a big pharmaceutical company, and she was very beloved. Everyone loved her. She was the nicest, kindest, most generous, you know, never said anything wrong about anybody, was really a great lady. And whew, Stephen Tratner was voted most likely to succeed in his high school class, also very popular and athletic and blah, blah, blah. They had two small children. Mm. 
and lived in um, Mequon, Wisconsin, and appeared to be a very happy marriage, but we all know that's yeah. not true. No. Um, ever. <laughs> it's never true, it's never ever. True. <laughs> no. There's no so, such thing. No, no. <laughs> he was very controlling and emotionally abusive, and she felt that she could never do anything right, and he controlled everything she did and said, and, you know, everything like that, um, and made her feel like she was a bad mom. And so there was a neighbor, a close friend, who was trying to help her um, get up the courage to um, ask for a divorce. And so then she did. So this was in 2006, I think. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember, but... Um, she <laughs> so she came... I was studying at dinner, really. So she came to him, you know, this night and said she wanted a divorce, and he became enraged and um, pushed her up against the kitchen cabinets, and she, like, hit him in the chest, and um, he basically... Um, banged her head against the ground, like, like put her, threw her up against the kitchen cabinets and then threw her on the ground and banged her head against the ground mm. like 10 times and then strangled her. Oh. And then he covered her with a blanket and went to bed. Yes. And then the next morning he got his two children up ready for school and said, you know, just leave your mother rest there. Yes. What a crumb. And then he went out to breakfast. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. No, it's true. Yeah. He is a fucking crumb. It's yeah. true. <laughs> it's true. Yes. That, yeah. Oh, I forgot something. Okay. He founded the Aaron Hills Golf Course. Yes. Which is important because this was like his life, you know, he always wanted to like, you know, have a golf course and it sure. ultimately was the site of the 2017 U.S. Open. Oh shit. Oh. Yes. Okay. So, um, anyway, so he, um, came home from like lunch and called the police finally. Wow. So he was, um, pled guilty to reckless homicide, um, received 35 years in jail, plus 10, like, supervised something or other because of the how vicious the attack was. Mm. Um, and then he tried to appeal after that, like, three times, saying, oh, it was self-defense because she, like, hit him, you know, um, and they were all denied. And so he ended up watching the U.S. Open from his jail cell. Oh, wow. Oh. Stacy, everybody, let her know. You killed it. You killed it. Yeah. That's how you do a hometown. If you don't think I'm not going to start calling people crumbs, you got another thing coming. Crumb, chauvinistic pig. And a chauvinist it's, pig. It's our fucking word of the day. There's three of them. Wow, what a perfect fucking end to this beautiful yeah. two-night run. We're so, we love doing these old, beautiful theaters that have so much character and having you guys here with us, it's so special. Walking out on stage is the most surreal experience I've ever It really had. is. It's, uh, it's, 
it's very uh, it's it's a dream come true. Yeah. And um, and it and it's happening because you guys have mobilized and come together and created this community and supported us every step of the way. And it is such an amazing, beautiful thing to see. Thank you, guys. We can't. Um, we can't ever thank you enough, uh, but we can tell you to please stay saved and do God's missions. Also, after the show, there's oh, a, that's right. There's a drag show after the show at Dick's. At Dick's. Did you hear about that? They're doing a my favorite murder themed drag show at Dick's. <laughs> <laughs> and we're so obsessed with that. Yet one more dream come true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you should go to that. <laughs> what the fuck is this life? I don't know. It makes no sense. It doesn't. But whatever it is, we're, we're totally in for it. Yep. Uh, we're into it. And so are you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Stay sexy. And... Thank you, Milwaukee. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, Milwaukee.